Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Artful Athlete Podcast episode 101, 101, 101. I haven't decided how I was going to say this number, so you all are getting it kind of as it comes. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for the lovely messages last week to also celebrate uh, this hundredth milestone with little old me. I personally celebrated by going for a walk along the river and treating myself to a little pastry while sitting on one of the Thames beaches. It was sunny, peaceful, and I just ended up reminiscing a little, mixing up all the good things that I've been able to experience this year, filling my lungs, my heart, and my brain with all of the good memories and the good juju. And there was a mix of things in there, to be honest, that ranged from beautiful sunsets and locations to fun moments with friends, books, myths, TV shows and films, and an exhibition, which I'd said I'd talk about with you this week, which I'd gone to visit earlier in May with my good friend Ilaria. You've met her in the first Mindful Chat series where we talked about the fascinating and empowering book Antigone Rising by Helen Morales. I'll link the episode in the description. If you haven't read this book or listened to the episode, I'm going to shamelessly invite you again to do both in your preferred order of accomplishment. Ha! I have a thing for myths and mythology. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, it's not a secret. And if you follow my personal account on Instagram, you would have seen the more than occasional mythological memes I like to share in my stories. What can I say? It's stuff that brings me joys. Always had, always will. All of the myths, all of the mythology, all of the time. But back to the point, this exhibition at the British Museum fulfilled a lot of my cravings for this interest, for this area that I'm passionate about. The exhibition is called Feminine Power, the Divine to the Demonic, and it's on until September in room 35, which I'd personally never been to, but when you walk in through the main entrance and you end up in the big hall with the dome, you have like this white structure, which on the ground floor basically is the shop and then there's like a cafe above and, and other stuff, but there's also access to room 35. It's a small room, well, smaller than what I had imagined from my previous exhibition exploration experience, but despite that small space, what I saw as a small space, there was a lot to dig into. Now, warning, I had booked tickets for this exhibition just because the title and the poster called to me. I did not look into blogs or articles or even the short summary on the British Museum's website. I just booked the tickets. So I, I don't think that when I booked, I was expecting the intellectual stimulation that I ended up getting. Let me explain. It's not that I didn't think my intellect would be made to work going there. I just felt, I don't know, I just left my head out of it. I just felt called to go. Like it was a heart thing. Ooh, sounds mystic and historic, and yep, the feminine in literature and history for a time was presented as the gateway to evil stuff. Let's look into it more. That, that was kind of the thought process. Pure curiosity combined with, ooh, sounds cool, let's go. The exhibition itself blended 
sculptures, paintings and artefacts remnant of a distant and not so distant time where goddesses, mythological and biblical women stood in the foreground, showcasing an aspect of feminine power to the world. We had everything, the creator, the fertility figure, the vengeful, the seductress, the witch, the bride, the crone, the prosperous and abundant, the monstrous and demonic, the peaceful and transcending spirit, the compassionate soul, the saviour, the avenger, the guardian, the gateway, the divine, the sexual, and the list goes on. As a visitor, you end up travelling a lot. You travel to Hawaii, the Egyptian deserts and the fields of Greece, the mountains of Japan, the valleys of India, and even more. And then you meet representations of the feminine from the six continents, from the abundant Oshun to the flesh-eating ogre Taraka and the compassionate Huan Yin, crossing paths with Artemis, Isis, Sekhmet, the Virgin Mary and Lilith, rather than focus solely on the historical and more, I guess, I, you could say scientific aspect of each figure, the way you navigate the space and through the space and the sacred artefacts and depiction is through core themes and qualities that we associate with the feminine. It didn't feel cliche and it wasn't Eurocentric. It wasn't trying to impose a message of oppressed or submissive feminine, quite the opposite actually. With the comments and the questions and insights provided by contemporary worshippers and faith communities and writers and researchers, such as Professor Mary Beard, she's a classicist and she's covered the themes of passion and desire in this exhibition. Having these modern day insights echo and reflect on how perhaps we approach or see elements such as passion, desire, justice, compassion, revenge, malice or magic, it brings another layer of conversation to the experience and it makes it a bit more stimulating rather than just being presented with an artifact and the story. It's an invitation of, well, I guess you could say you're being invited to look beyond the story and into the qualities and the aspects that are being explored through that story, through that figure, and see how you stand. I think there were times when I was visiting where I became aware of expectations I had had when looking forward to this experience. Remember, I had done zero research beforehand, so expectations, like the sky's the limit. And while I was exploring the space and its riches, I think a part of me had hoped and wanted to see more on the demonic parts and the vilification of the feminine. What that says about me, I don't know, we should ask Uncle Freud maybe about it. And to some extent that I was a little bit satisfied with that expectation because you do get to see uh, Maleus Maleficarum, which is that classic witch hunting book. Uh, <laughs> you also get to see this very impressive sculpture of Lilith by artist Kiki Smith with that iron mask and this contorted body perched on the wall, looking down on you as if ready to pounce, towering over you. And you know she's looking to you, which is there staring up. And on the right, there's that witch hunting book. I'd say they managed to get quite a, love, quite a good 
not lovely, quite a good narrative arc through the exhibition, going from one emotion to the next, one quality to the next, but also one art exhibit to the next. Like, for example, that Lilith on one right above you, and then the Maleus Maleficarum on your right. It's just like, oh, my only escape is if I take a step back, or I go to the left. It was carefully staged. Still, I guess perhaps a part of me would have wanted more on the witch hunting aspect of things, but that would have been a different exhibition focusing maybe on what society and man, with a capital M as in mankind, the peeps, everyone in there, has done and carved in response to the feminine and its power. I think what I enjoyed the most about this exhibition, on top of the international, the mythological and divine aspects of this, was um, I got sent back to little me <laughs> that discovered mythology and, and the worship of divinities and, and myths, full stop. And so the reason I liked mythology so much as a kid was because in my head, all of it was real. And because it was real, that's why and how the people involved in these stories had become archetypes for more modern stories and situations for men and women all around the world. And over time and growing up, the figures I looked up to changed a little, but I don't think I ever stopped believing in them. And that's why the magic is staying. When I was in, in drama school, one day, um, I heard an acting teacher tell off a group that was just performing a scene, saying that these are not characters, these are real people, and you should treat them as such. And it resonates with me so much, because, yeah, the reason we believe in myths and, and the reason we connect to a character in a story is because we really, really, really believe they're real. There is something in them that just fleshes them out. They, they're, they're more than just a painting, an image, or a page or words on a page for that matter. But yes, as I was saying, over time and growing up, the, the figures, let's call them that, the figures I looked up to in these stories, in these tales, started to change a little. And I enjoyed actually being either disappointed or overjoyed at elements of myths my adult self was discovering. Elements that, you know, had been removed from the original version that I had read as a kid. Some of them were not great discoveries, to be honest. For example, as a child, the Medusa, terrifying, snakes his hair, turns people to stone, yep, cold, heartless, chilling, really. And then you grow up and you get to the other parts of the story of how she was punished for her sexual relationship with Poseidon and her beauty and then turned into this monstrous figure we now know. Another one, the Book of Myths, I mean, I had more than one, but there were these two books. One was orange and one was green. And the green one was the Greek myth and the orange ones was the, the Egyptian myth. These books I had as a kid narrated the story also of um, powerful Hercules overcoming his 12 trials like a boss. However, at no point whatsoever did it mention that the reason he was going through them was because he'd been turned mad enough to kill his wife and son and then, you know, wanted to make amends and try to get them back, maybe. And so because Apollo had understood that, 
oh yeah, okay, you got turned crazy and that's why you killed everyone. Hmm, sure. But I can't just let you off that easy. You're going to have to do 12 trials. So, you know, these stories had so much more to offer as I was growing up. You think you know a story and then you go back to it and you go, oh, didn't know that. And then you go back to it later and you discover another aspect of it. But basically, yes, there were elements that had not made the child-friendly version. And in a way, yeah, a lot of the stories had been Disney-fied. But anyway, despite that child-friendly version, grown-up me and growing-up me and exhibition-visiting me realized that what I really enjoyed the most about these things was that it meant that there'd always be more to stories more to each divinity and persona, more to explore, like a never-ending well, meaning the stories would never end. And that's, that's a feeling. It means it can always be revisited and explored. It also means that the stories we know may have been twisted and heavily edited straight from the start. Telling it again, retelling it again and again, that's what really does it to me. Obviously, obviously, beyond storytelling, conversing and debating is also very welcome. But as a story-driven person, a story- and emotion-led artist and creator, knowing that there is no end to the exploration of a story and a person, that's what I love. And this exhibition, Feminine Power Exhibition, invites you to explore so many stories and not containing itself to the old storylines. It's a celebration of tales of feminine power, a celebration of qualities and defaults, maybe, <laughs> associated with the idea of the feminine. And since we're made of both masculine and feminine traits and energies, I think it's a way of inviting yourself to question and see how you stand today on your vision of the feminine, on big themes such as justice, compassion, desire creation, and any other that comes to you when you think of the feminine. And I'll wrap this little reflection musing with a quote from the exhibition by Rabia Siddiqui. I hope I've pronounced it right. Because that quote really resonated with me. If you're angry, harness that. If you're frustrated, express that. If you're more of a peacemaker and a quiet, persevering advocate. Own that as well. It's about not having to subscribe to any stereotypically masculine or feminine form of power. I think that's what this exhibition was about. Power. Food for thoughts. Food for thoughts. Somehow, in front of my window today, I've had gazillions of motorbikes driving by really, really loudly. So <laughs> I hope it's not damaging your listening experience too much. I'll catch you next week for our next episode. I'll put the link to the exhibition and some pictures of my favourite artefacts on Instagram, which you can check through the links in the episode description. Meanwhile, stay hydrated and don't forget to take a break. Have a wonderful week and I'll speak to you soon. 